0: Banded together by a mutual yearning for the more simplistic times and random fun of the comic books of yesteryear, Alec Barry and Scott Gardner now travel back, back to the bins. Hello everyone, my name is Alec Barry. And my name is Scott Gardner. And I, we would like to welcome you to the first inaugural episode of Back to the Bins. And uh if in your case you're wondering there's uh there's kind of a basic idea a basic theme running through the show and it's sort of me and scott um we we agree on this sort of idea and we kind of are into the same thing and how we buy our comics and it's I know for me personally it's kind of gotten uh to the point where sometimes you know picking up your comics every Wednesday and trying to follow certain books and keep up with it all it, it kind of even becomes a chore, you know, and it's, comics shouldn't be that, you know. I mean, I love getting my new comics, but sometimes I do feel that way, that, you know, I have to go pick up a certain issue to make sure I'm on top of things. And the way I saw it with this was, you know, I I always had fun kind of uh, diving back into back issue bins and kind of just picking up a simple uh, random book and having fun with that. And I think, you know, I was thinking, why don't, People do that more, and, you know, why don't I start doing that more? Why don't I start, you know, passing up uh, the new $3 book and maybe take a dive back into a dollar or 50-cent bin, pick up something random, and uh, just kind of run with it and get that, you know, discover some fun in comics.
1: Yeah, I, I feel you totally. Um, more and more lately, I would say over the pa- the course of the past year or better, more and more of my comic dollar is going towards back issues you know, as uh, particularly as comics continue to climb in price, you know, the, the new issues, I find myself more and more going, you know, why spend three or $4 for a new comic that, and I realize that I'm an old fart and this is kind of an old farts attitude, but for new comics that aren't as near as enjoyable to me as some of the old stuff. So I've been more and more buying older issues and just, you know, like you say, hunting in the back issue bins hitting a lot of uh yard sales flea markets uh goodwill salvation army that kind of stuff just any outlet where i might have an opportunity to run across old comics and uh i I love it i mean i've always done that anyway that's how i built my whole collection was just always being on the scrounge for you know cheap back issues and old comics and you know, so when you pitch this idea of, you know, let's go back to the bins and check out, you know, older books. I, I like the idea, you know, and just basically doing it totally random, you know, just whatever we happen to find that week or, or you know, some you know, standout issue of some collection that we bought or something like that. I I, I love the whole idea. So yeah, I'm ready and raring.
0: All right. And as uh, Scott just mentioned, the kind of the I guess you can call them ground rules for the show will be uh each week we're kind of just gonna do, you know, a quick twenty minute segment and uh each of us will pick one book, just kind of one random back issue that we found uh on the cheap and we'll basically kind of give our review and our thoughts and opinions on them. So sweet. Would you like to go first, Scott, or should I?
1: Oh, you're gonna put the pressure on me. <laughs> yeah, sure I'll I'll go first. Yeah, uh, I'm interested.
0: I'm interested to see what you picked.
1: Oh, all right, yeah, this book here, I bought a collection um, just this past week. And it was something I bought kind of blind. Um, uh, basically, the, the description of it was 60-plus, um, you know, just comic books. Got it on the cheap. I got it for like $6 and change. And it turned out to be like over 75 issues. But the reason I bought it, you know, the the, the, the little bit of description that I did get, was I took a chance? I thought that I recognized um, an issue that was on the top of the stack, and sure enough, I got it, and it turned out to be the issue I thought it was. This is the official name of this book: is the Avengers Collector's Edition Number One, which probably doesn't mean anything to a lot of people, but if you saw it, you might recognize it. This is Sugar Babies, Charles Charleston Chew. And Sugar Daddy Presents Avengers. Number one, this is one of those candy giveaway comics. You know, like you might could send in wrappers or something like that back in the day and get this, you know, via the mail or something. And uh, I love collecting these kind of books. You know, these kind of weird, you know, like Pizza Hut back in the 90s had a promotion where they gave away like four special comics that you could only get by, you know, eating Pizza Hut pizza and, you know, just weird things like that. So anyway, this one is uh, from 1993, and it uh, has a really nice cover on it by uh, Mike Gustavich, who uh, I kind of like his stuff. I'm not really familiar with anything he did beyond Avengers, but uh, you know, I, he, he has kind of a hit and miss style, but in this particular book, he's inked by um, longtime Avengers inker Tom Palmer. I'm a big Tom Palmer fan. I, I like uh, all of his stuff that he did on the Avengers, but... I uh, really fell in love with Tom Palmer's inks when uh, he did uh, Star Wars, Marvel Comics Star Wars, for a long time. He did quite a stretch, I think, right around, like, post The Empire Strikes Back, right up to right near the end of the series, I believe. Um, I'm a little fuzzy on my dates with that, but I just remember really liking his stuff, particularly when he inked uh, Ron Friends. So anyway, this story... I wasn't really sure what I was going to get, you know, because this is just a promo story. You know, it's, you know, you send away candy wrappers or whatever to get it. So I I didn't know if it was going to be silly. I didn't know if it was going to be goofy. I really didn't know what to expect. And really, it almost reads like a regular issue of The Avengers from this era. Almost like, uh, like maybe a story you would get in an annual of the Avengers from 93 or something like that. The Avengers are traveling to uh, Wakanda to basically, they're celebrating something or other. I forget what the occasion is. Some sort of get together with, uh, with uh, the Black Panther and his people. And they get there and uh, El Diablo, the master of alchemy has basically uh taken over wakanda and and is holding all you know black panther and all his people hostage and everything and he has re- uh resurrected uh the people who used to be known as the elements of doom who we last saw way back in Avengers number 188 which strangely i had just read just a few months back i had read that story or reread that story i um, think that was a John Byrne issue if i remember right anyway he's resurrected those guys and now he's calling he's renamed them the masters of alchemy and he's using them to basically help him you know take over the world or whatever and the 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 plot in this is really pretty thin it, it, what he's basically wanting to do is create a new um element of doom slash master of alchemy who's going to be made up entirely of vibranium because all these elements of doom guys they're they're all a different element of the periodic table like there's uh there's titanium and neon and carbon cobalt phosphorus you know so each one of these guys represents a different element the story wasn't bad I mean it's you know it's it's a little bit silly but I mean it's it's no silly you know it's no sillier or or any different really than a standard issue of avengers from this time period um the art was really nice and uh you know the story w- was interesting and all and i liked seeing you know all the different uh avengers that were featured in the story because this was that strange time when the avengers was in kind of a state of flux so we had uh this was also the jacket phase you know for the avengers um when, uh, you know, Cap looks, he looks really strange, but he looks kind of awesome at the same rate. You know, he's got his standard Captain America uniform on, but then he's also got, like, this this uh, almost like a bomber jacket, you know, like a leather bomber jacket type of thing. Um, Black Knight's also wearing one. This is when Black Knight had his uh, lightsaber instead of the, the sword that he usually carried. This is also when Hercules was clean-shaven and had that really bizarre-looking... I don't know what this outfit is he's supposed to have on. It almost looks like he had been chained up to something and then broke free, and whatever came loose with him is now what he's wearing as a uniform or something. It's really odd-looking. Um, it also. This issue also has Vision, Crystal, Black Panther finally comes in toward the end of the story. And uh, there was some woman who was accompanying the team, Uh, a ms madison i don't know who this woman is i don't know if she was from the regular avengers of this time period or or what i'm only slightly versed on the avengers of you know of the 90s you know i only read you know bits and pieces of it so i don't know if she was a regular character in that or if she was created just for this one shot or what the whole deal was she almost seemed like maybe she was a love interest for hercules or something but she wasn't she didn't have any powers or anything, so I don't know if she was a girlfriend or a reporter or like a liaison or or what the deal is. She was just kind of a, t- a tag along in the story, and a couple of times almost functions as a as kind of a, a damsel in distress uh, story <laughs> mechanism in this.
0: I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Bendis to dig her up and use her as one of her one of his obscure characters. Well,
1: I'm slowly reading my way through Avengers. I've got a pretty solid run of Avengers from, you know, I've got scattered issues below 100, and then from about 100 to the end of the the very first series, which ended at like 402 or something like that. I've got just about every issue. I'm very slowly making my way through them. I'm somewhere in the 200s right now. So eventually I'll read up to this point, and then I'll I'll know for sure what the deal is with this woman. But I get the feeling that she's... She's kind of like that uh I think her name was Dallas or something like that that was in early issues of uh The Thunderbolts who was like a love interest for um Atlas. I get yeah. the feeling that that this woman is kind of the same type of deal with Hercules maybe but that's just the impression I got from the issue but uh anyway, you know it it's nothing to, you know, light the world on fire or anything but it was a lot of fun and it was a nice little anniversary issue and it's a nice little it's kind of a nice little time capsule of where the Avengers were at this time. This this issue um, was basically to celebrate um, the 30 is it 30 years? I believe it's 30 years. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's uh, there's a a nice um like glossy cardboard insert right in the middle of the of the book that um they're almost like trading cards, but they're not perforated or anything where you could tear them out. But there's you know just nice little art pieces. There's one of the Avengers, there's one of Black Panther, Diablo, and the Masters of Alchemy, and then there's another one of Cap and Black Knight back to back. And then it has like a little, almost like fact, like a fact sheet with trivia on it for all the different Avengers characters, a lot of whom don't even appear in this issue, like Thor and Wonder Wonder Man and Iron Man. So it's like you know, the idealized version of the team, you know, the, a lot of the original members that you would think of when you think of the Avengers, but they're just not in this particular issue.
0: This was, this was a promotional piece you said?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure if I remember right, you, you had to send in rappers or something like that for this. Do you think
0: it would have been like a good first comic for say, if somebody was buying this like uh, brand of candy they sent in for it, would you think they would be able to get through it?
1: I think you'd be able to read it and enjoy it, but that was actually, that was the the thing that, that I might walked be... away from this thinking that, wow, you know, while I enjoyed it because I'm, you know, versed in these characters and everything, I do think it's kind of a poor... Representation of the Avengers as a one-shot for you know some kid you know if this was your first issue of the Avengers I don't think you'd walk away from it going wow I'm really into the Avengers now I got to read everything you know they've ever done I think you'd kind of walk away going nah you know this was Maybe. okay.
0: Maybe that's where that uh, cardboard insert would come along. It might give you info on the uh, the characters that you might use if you know you were a new reader or something. Maybe that was the purpose of that.
1: Ah, yeah, that's yeah, that could very well be. Yeah. But yeah, the, and then it's on the back side of the of the little info cards. It says, "Salute the Avengers on their 30th anniversary." So you know, this was you know, one of the one of the things when they were trying to make something of a big deal out of you know when. Avengers hit 30. And I think that was the same year that X-Men hit 30, if I remember properly.
0: What what year did they start? I think, was it 63 or 64? 63, I believe. Yeah, it would have been the same as Spider-Man, too. Well, no, Spider-Man was in... Uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 was in August of 62, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, but I, Amazing I so. started in 63, so, yeah, something around that.
1: But, yeah, that that was this one. I, I got a kick out of it. I, you know, it was, it was interesting. Um... And like I say, I just enjoy getting these these weird kind of you know promo stories to see if you know any elements ever come out of them and make it into main you know the mainstream continuity and they seldom do, but I always like to try anyway. So what do you got?
0: Well, mine doesn't have a, an exciting uh origin story as yours, but <laughs> this um it's for a character Blue Beetle for DC and uh this is from his original 1986 series this would have been his i believe this would have been the first series he had post uh crisis on infinite earth and is basically probably his first dc appearance uh, i think that was right when they put the charlton characters in the dc universe right around uh, after crisis but um this is issue number 2 and then the cover reads fire fist the Incinidary man and it's it shows blue beetle facing off against a um a heavily costumed individual shooting flames from his fingertips. It's pretty, uh, pretty dynamic. Uh, you've got Len Ween as a writer, you've got Paris Collins as a penciler, and Bruce Patterson as the inker. Uh, Paris Collins is a new name to me, but, uh, I just, the first thing I'm probably going to say is, even though he was a new name to me, his artwork definitely, um, drew me in pretty quickly, and, uh, mostly for the reason of page four within this book. I find myself lately really, uh, when I first got into comics, it was mostly, I liked the artwork if I liked the style. If it looked good, it was good art to me. But recently, I've kind of gotten to the point where, like, uh, I look more for storytelling and, uh, the, the fluid and the flow of the panels. And page four of this issue is an excellent example of storytelling. It's just, uh, it's broken up into nine panels and it, uh, it has Ted Cord, Blue Beetle, after he's in a fight. Uh, in a burning building he has a ton of debris trapped uh, over top of him and it's crushing him and it just shows in this nine panel grid it just shows him positioning himself on, uh, you know to in a manner to uh, free himself from this debris and then he pushes it off and springs himself out of it and it's really just a, it's a great page and uh, Bruce Patterson I'm sure he has a lot to go along with that the style and the style I do like a lot so the artwork was really well done in this issue. Uh, story-wise, well, uh, it's, he's fighting a villain, as I said on the cover, Firefist, who in his past he was a, a scientist in and and an experiment gone awry, and that's not the first time you've ever heard heard that origin story. But um, basically he's dealing with an experiment. It explodes in his a building. There's a big fire, and when the firefighters show up to rescue him, one of the firefighters ends up getting trapped underneath falling debris, and his fellow fire, firefighter uh, rescues the fi- the other firefighter alone, but leaves the scientist behind to burn in the flames, and it scars his body, and he and he survives, and he, but he carries a uh, a need for revenge upon all firefighters. So you know he's basically he's on a rampage in uh, in the city that this takes place in. Uh, you've got Ted Cord working his uh, big business, and it's really I can see uh, quite a. A comparison to Bruce Wayne, Batman, in this issue, because he, he is work. He's a he's a millionaire playboy working a large corporation. He's got all the technology. He's got an underground layer, if you want to call it. But uh, he's using his he's using his business. He's using his technology to help uh, fight Fire Fist. Uh, there's a couple of subplots going throughout the issue. Uh, one of them is there's a mysterious red haired man who was trying to steal inside information from Cord Industries. And I uh, use it against Blue Beetle, but we don't find out why in this issue. It carries along into the next. And then towards the end of this sh- the issue, there's a firefighter museum uh, being opened, which kind of ironic because this guy is after firefighters. So Fire Fist shows up trying to burn it down and destroy it. Uh, Ted Kord shows up and fights him and defeats him. And then another example of uh, great storytelling is the last page is... Uh, Ted Cord is walking away with the fire chief from the, the destroyed uh, museum, and it's just—it's just really one large uh, image, but it's broken up into four panels of them just walking away from the rubble and towards the towards you, the reader. And there's a nice st- statue in the background. But uh, I really just enjoyed this issue a lot. I it, it brought me enjoyment of the character of Ted Cord and Blue Beetle. It's actually kind of weird because. Uh, just this one issue kind of now makes me want to go back and get a lot of the other Blue Beetle issues and kind of start a run. So I have a feeling that's going to happen a lot with this show. Is I'm just going to be picking up random books and discovering new series that I want to dive into. But I really enjoyed this.
1: I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I was when you when you announced what it was and everything. I was like, oh wow, and then I, I got a little nervous i was like oh well, what's he going to think of it though um yeah i bought that series um you know i was it was coming out and i wish i knew what happened to paris collins i, I really don't know whatever became of him but uh you know for for a time there you know post crisis he did uh he did blue beetle i think he did some issues of um uh blue devil as well if i'm not mistaken and he did some other things he did some covers for Superman and some different things. Um, but I, I just don't know whatever became of him, but unfortunately what, what seemed to, to kill that blue beetle book was as the series went on, it started to get, you know, that syndrome where it was a different artist, every issue. And some of them were just, you know, they didn't maintain the style that Collins had and, and some were just, lesser artists than others. You know, I don't want to slight anybody, but it just it, it suffered really by the rotating artist thing and and not having a consistent look to it and and all that. But the stories at least, you know, in the first I'd say 20 or so issues were were pretty good. I mean, I liked that they brought, you know, those Charlton characters into the DC universe, but they still tried to maintain them at least in the beginning. You know, very close to what they had been over at Charlton because Blue Beetle and uh, and the question both were characters that I, you know, as I was able to pick up issues, I followed them at Charlton and and they were enjoyable. It was nice to see them brought over and actually later on in that series for an issue or two, um, the the question did appear in Blue Beetle's book drawn by uh, Collins and that was pretty good stuff, too. So yeah, I would encourage you to keep going with that series, at least up until um, Collins leaves as artist anyway, because it it was a a pretty good read. And uh, some of the stories later on, the Blue Beetle goes back to Pago Island and stuff. Some of those stories were neat and actually lent into the whole history of the the character, the Blue Beetle and everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought Paris Collins' art was really just uh, exceptional in this issue. And I'm just surprised I've never heard of him before, because... I mean, from the first page, I was just immediately drawn in because I thought, I mean, it might be Patterson, like I said, on the inking, but I thought his style was uh, quite different and really kind of different from what I've seen in older books. I mean, it kind of tends to me a lot that a lot of older books kind of, I don't know, they sort of have a similar style going on, and uh, there's kind of like no, I mean, even early John Romita Jr. looks a lot like anything else that was coming out at the time, at least I think. Right. So so I thought that was really interesting about the artwork. It had a great uh, style to it. And then I just kept getting to these pages where they are just a lot of – it's broken down into a, many different panels, and you can just see the storytelling, uh, the skill that Paris Collins has on the storytelling. And I just thought it was great. So, yeah, I'm definitely th- going to keep going with uh, Blue Beetle. I think he was
1: a little before his time because he reminds me a lot of um, Mike Parabek. He reminds me a lot of Parabek who was another artist that was well ahead of his time and I don't think was, was truly appreciated uh, until his untimely passing. And then, you know, in later years people started to discover and there's even a number of artists who, who started to kind of ape his style. And I think Collins was, was on to something. I think he, he was doing kind of a, a precursor to the to the Mike Parabek style that ended up being adopted by some of the artists who... who who developed kind of the, the uh, DC animated style um, artwork in their books. And, you know, that's that's basically Mike Parabet created that look in early issues of, like, um, Batman Adventures and things like that. So, yeah, I, I like Collins' stuff, and I'm going to have to look him up now. I'm really curious what whatever became of him. I don't know if he went on to, you know, other artwork outside of comics, or, you know, he went on to... You know, some other company I'm not aware of or what. He just kinda faded away, it seems like to me.
0: Well, his legacy still lives on in this copy of Blue Beetle. So <laughs> I will he will always live in my mind. Well, ladies and gents, thank you for joining me and Scott for the first episode of Back to the Bins. I hope you will stick around. We both hope that you will stick around for further installments. I gotta get used to this like we thing because I'm such a solo guy. <laughs> this is gonna be interesting. But um <laughs> That wraps up episode one of Back to the Bins. If you have any feedback at all, please send an email to bins at gmail.com. Scott and me both would be highly appreciative of any form of feedback, good or bad. Back to the Bins is a Scott Gardner, Alec Berry production, copyright 2009. Please join us next time and we will go back. Back to the Bins.